are listening to KC Sports Network. Proudly presented by M-Prize Bank, your partner in possible. Coming up, Benny Heisler brings you the latest episode of Benny and the Bets, the sports betting show here at KC Sports Network. From props to spreads and everything in between, your sports betting show focused on our local teams is right here. So let's begin the show. What's good, everybody? Welcome in. Benny and the Bets with a special guest, Sarah Tiana, one of my favorite comedians and writers. Uh, Kind enough to join us post Big Slick here on the program today. I've been doing a bunch of traveling in Kansas City and then recently now uh, in Austin before heading back to the West Coast. Uh, Sarah, I love that I get to have an opportunity to talk with you about all things sports, all things comedy. Uh, bring in a little bit of Big Slick as well, which I, I think you started coming to, to Kansas City in, what, 2018? So yes. we're going on about like four or five years now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it was my fourth Big Slick because we, we did one from home the 2020 year. So I think it's my fourth. What's yeah. uh, What was the origin story behind how you first got involved and where sort of the the connection point came from. I know that you had the the pod with Rob Riggle for a while, but what what was sort of that first entry point for you? And and did you know much about Kansas City before you started to come here? Didn't know anything about it other than, you know, that they had an airport that was really small. There wasn't really a comedy club there. So I wasn't, you know, it wasn't on a tour date kind of list. But yeah, my connection was strictly Rob. So Rob brought me to big slick for the first time in 2018 and um i didn't perform uh but my but um my boyfriend's show that he's a sidekick on the rich eisen show and like rich came as well so then it was kind of a family affair and they were broadcasting from the baseball field before the event to kind of help promote it and then the next year they must have had a fallout or something and they asked me to perform and it was uh 2019 and then it went really well and so then they were like well you got to come back and then then uh that's actually where we got pregnant oh is that big slick and so then the next year was covid and we had a newborn and then 2022 last year i thought oh, all right i'll go back again and surely they won't ask me to perform and then they asked me to perform. i'm like oh goodness like <laughs> I keep thinking like somehow the 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 luster is gonna wear off and <laughs> they're not gonna keep asking me, but it it keeps going well. So I guess you know that's that's that. And the the stage for performing continues to get bigger. Like I don't know, I don't know how big this thing's gonna get. Like, are you guys at some point gonna go at like the Taylor Swift level and just start doing shows at Arrowhead? Cause I mean, we've moved from like the Kaufman Center from a poker tournament to the Kaufman Center. You guys were at T-Mobile this time out. Like, mm-hmm. was that was that one of the bigger audiences that you've had a chance to to play for in like that type of arena? So I've actually done uh, a few arenas because of Chappelle. I opened for him a couple times, and then I've also just done like big festivals. Um, and then I got to do the Hollywood Bowl with Brad Paisley and perform there. So that was seventeen thousand, I think. So it's kind of um. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it, it's just when you are in an arena, your stand up feels a little different because of the echo and the carry 
Um, but that arena, T-Mobile, that's the third time I've performed there because it's been there every time I've done stand-up. Um, and it's it always feels very instant. It, it doesn't feel like there's a little delay. <laughs> that's And that's also interesting, too, because so much of performing is about timing and rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, wh when you first did um, an arena crowd, like, did it go well for you? Because obviously I'm sure the material was great, but you're still trying to figure out the acoustics of it all mm -hmm. and the rhythm and the balance. Like, did it take an actual live audience to start to figure it out? Or were you able to kind of understand it going in? No, I mean, I everybody warns you, but until you actually get out there and do it, it doesn't really register. And there's people moving around and coming in and out of their seats. And it was... Uh, the first one, I think it was in Mountain View, uh, which, so it was, you know, still kind of light. I don't think it was dark yet. It was probably seven, you know, twilight. I don't know. Yeah, it, it took quite a, it took a second. And then I thought the same thing would happen at the Hollywood Bowl, but the acoustics there in an, are different, an outdoor amphitheater that you can hear somebody in the back row. But I didn't know that. So I was expecting to just play to the very front, which is normally what I do in those situations, just talk to the people here and register their faces, even if I can't hear their laughter. And then um, <laughs> and then I said one joke that I used to have, like uh, my dad's a really tough guy because he fought during the Vietnam War and the whole place applauded. And I, because the joke is like mostly in bars with his friends because he dodged the draft. <laughs> I was, I was like, oh my God, like there's a huge country music audience. Like if they, oh man, this is really going to make or break me. And so <laughs> I just said, you know, I got to just say what I say. And then I did it and then they all laughed and it was like, oh, okay. You know, <laughs> I don't want Brad Paisley to tell, never call me back again. So yeah, it worked out fine. Do you, do you remember the first real set that you've done and kind of sort of the environment and the feeling that you had after your time was done? What do you mean? The, the first stand-up comedy set that you ever did as a, as a oh. performer, like you, going all, going all the way back, like oh, today one? about it and where was it? Oh yeah. That was at the hot wired cafe in Los Angeles on Laurel Canyon and Riverside. It was a little coffee shop. I probably did three minutes which I probably said in 90 seconds because I was talking so fast, which is a pure adrenaline nervous rush. And I, you know, I had one joke and it worked great. It worked good. I wouldn't say great. It worked yeah. good for an open mic. It was a good joke. Um, for a club, it would be like, what, who are you? Uh, but Mike, which is like, everybody's new, just having any semblance of a comedy joke, they're like, whoa, who is this? You know? <laughs> so it works. It works fine. But that that's going from a coffee shop full of 10 people to arena is a, is not what I, where I thought I would end up going, you know, where, what, what did you sort of have as your ultimate vision back in the day? Like was, did you, did you want to focus on standup? Did you want to focus more on writing? Was it sort of a combination of both? Like where, what's sort of like your comedy origin story as to what you ultimately wanted to do and, and now being, being here? Yeah, I, 
started stand up on a dare. I had moved to Los Angeles to be an actor and um, just needed something to do because you don't get any work. And, um, I, you know, I was doing extra work and stuff, but I wasn't doing anything. Anyway, so I didn't understand how it worked. So, but then I, you know, figured it out. And, um, but I never really th thought I would end up being good at it. I just thought, oh, I just got to keep writing jokes. I was trying to be good at it. I, I needed some sort of creative outlet when I, I wasn't performing as an actor. And then, you know, and then it ended up being good. I just kept going and going and going and you get addicted. You have a good show and that kind of carries you for a couple of weeks through other bad shows. So you're just kind of chasing a good show all the time. And then, you know, and then I moved into more of the writing side, probably around 2010. I was probably like seven or eight years in. And that's when the Comedy Central rose were really starting. And I was running a comedy room and Jeff Ross used to come in there and and practice his jokes. And one day I said, what's the next roast you're doing? And he told me. And I said, what's your email? And he told me. And then I just started sending him jokes until he couldn't ignore me anymore. One of my one of my favorite memories uh, is going to a Jeff Ross show when I was living in DC um, and actually getting invited on the stage. It was when he was doing the part of his bit where he would have somebody like play the piano and he would sort of do like this makeshift like roast poetry over it. And so I actually got oh. to like perform in a Jeff Ross show. Like there, there's one YouTube clip of like some like toll booth operator who steals the show. Like mine didn't go anywhere near that, but I got to get roasted by Jeff. And it was one of those moments where somebody like growing up who loved the roasts, um, you know, starting with the, the Hugh Hefner, I think that was the first one that I watched. That, that was pretty cool. I remember, <laughs> I remember he looked at me. I had like, I wasn't wearing glasses. I had really short blonde hair at the time. He's wearing like jeans and a, and a button down shirt. He's like, oh, you look like somebody I, I, I know. Oh yeah. Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, there was a few other jokes along there as well. Um, but that's, that's so cool that like, it really was kind of like a, a networking aspect for you. Like, yeah. You, you you were in you were in the the room essentially the room where it happened and you continued to to follow up and like did was were the were writing for the roasts did you feel like as funny as they are did you ever feel like it was kind of limiting to how maybe people would view the type of comedy that you would write I didn't find it limiting because uh, I really enjoyed the aspect of writing for other people and the more and more. I do stand up, the more rewarding it is for me to write for other people still. Um, uh, you know, it's probably also a little bit more of a cop out, like there's less pressure when you're not having to do the performing yourself. But I also really like the challenge of like finding someone else's voice. And those early days of the roast, you know, I was just writing for Jeff. I wasn't writing for anyone else. And it's not like he could pay me. I just, and I didn't want money. I just wanted him to remember me for any other job that he got. And then he did. I mean, he took me to Germany on a, um, a UFO show. And then he got a pilot on Comedy Central in 2012, I think it was. And um, he got me a writing job on that. And that was my first WGA job. And then I started getting actually hired by the Rose <laughs> because I was just kind of writing behind the scenes and going from club to club with him 
practicing them and honing them. And um, yeah, and then, you know, now obviously like I actually get paid to write them, but it took a while, you know? And I think people people have a lot of misinterpretations of what stand-up can be and what writing can be. And then they, they go, oh, I just started doing stand-up. When do I start touring? And you're like, 10 years? I mean, you're not even good at stand-up for 10 years. You have to put in 10 years. I, I, if somebody wants to buy tickets to your show, I think that's awesome. Anybody who can sell tickets should sell tickets. I just, I couldn't go out there until I knew that I had a really good show to put out. Do you feel like the shelf life for sort of a lot of like the TikTok comedians, I, and, and I, I shouldn't even like limit it to TikTok because maybe that maybe that's unfair, but those that have kind of found that audience really quickly and in a more non-traditional way, do you see them being able to have that shelf life that a, tra a comedian that's taken a more traditional route might have because it, there's just more of an inherent knowledge of the craft of continuing to build and learn and network as opposed to maybe it being a, a little bit more in a bubble? It just, I, I, I don't know. I have no idea because that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't go to those shows and I don't normally see those performers at the clubs. They're not always winging out material, but I mean, if, you know, I think if you have people helping you write and craft a show, you know, hopefully there's people helping you create an hour long show that can be entertaining and that, you know, that people will enjoy. You know, this kind of stuff happens too with, you know, America's Got Talent, like somebody wins that and they're go, like, what, you know, or, or like the, the judges always say like, what is this, how do you do this for an hour and keep people happy? You know, what? what's the next thing that you're gonna do when people wanna watch an hour of this? And the people that win, that's usually the, the answer is yes, they wanna see an hour of this. So no doubt. that's what you have to decide as a comic is like, what am I gonna do for an hour? Just vamp? Like, I don't know, that's not a good idea. We're just getting started. Sarah Tiana is our guest here on Benny and the Bets. Uh, coming up on the other side, I'm going to ask her about some of those early roasts and uh, if she has any favorite jokes that still linger on, that still people talk about coming up on the other side. Uh, plus, we'll talk a little bit more Big Slick and uh, her Atlanta Braves. Getting a little mm -hmm. bit interesting when it comes down the stretch of the season, of course. Uh, her Georgia Bulldogs as well. Plenty of sports, plenty of betting, plenty of comedy. Uh, with one of the great Sarah Tiana coming up in just a second. Stay with us. Spending in the bets. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network. All right. Sarah Tiana is with us here on Benny and the Bets. I... I told you before that I have loved watching the Comedy Central roasts. That they were like a, a big part of sort of like my my teenage years into like my my early and mid twenties. Uh, so it's cool to hear that for a long time you were writing for Jeff, and then eventually being able to uh, handle that part of the writers' room, and you uh, even wrote for for Peyton Manning's SB speech. Uh, amongst all the different roast jokes and and content that you've create and I hate to even use the word content like you were writing material like really good material mm -hmm. what are the lines what are the jokes that that have stayed with you that you know people even reference when they have an opportunity to talk to you or do any in particular stand out 
You mean my own or just jokes that I really loved from a certain really either or like the the jokes from because i mean these are these were like the william shatner roast that to me is like one of the most iconic ones i know that uh i think you also wrote for the rob Lowe roast as well um the bieber roast was that also one that you were a part of there, there, there's yeah. so many to count i started with sheen that okay. was my first one and that's when i was just writing for jeff and i, I remember i came over his house after bombarded him you know i think i had tr sent him a bunch of stuff for the donald trump roast but nothing he he didn't use anything but i was still bombarding him and and then the sheen roast was happening and uh he's like oh come over and write with us at my house and so i get there and it's me and this guy matt edgar and tony hinchcliffe and we're all in the backyard and and jeff's just like i just want to open the show by saying you know with a quote the big quote, friends, Romans, countrymen. And I said, lend Mike Tyson your ears. And then they were just <laughs> like, oh, that's exactly it. And then that stayed. And then uh, I think the second, yeah, I think the first two jokes that he did in that one might've been ones that I helped him with. And, and so I was kind of in from there. And then the Bieber roast I worked, I worked a little bit on, but I, I hosted the red carpet for that show. So I was also, I was the writer of, Whole red carpet experience. It was me and Santino. And then the next year, I think, was um, uh, uh, the, Itali uh, the Italian actor who's in, um, oh God, James Franco. And that one, <laughs> I had yeah. a lot of the jokes on. And, um, and my favorite joke that I wrote for that was, um, it didn't end up getting used, so I got to save it forever. It was James Franco, you're an insult to Italian actors everywhere. James Gandolfini must be trying to roll over in his grave right now. <laughs> and, you know, it was right after the passing of Gandolfini, so it was a really, you know, there were just, I mean, there were so many. And then I wrote for Peyton, not for his ESPYs, I wrote for Peyton on the Rob Lowe Rose. The Rob Lowe Rose, that's right, my mistake. Yeah. But then I got I got a sign him because I was the only person that anything about football and also the only woman. <laughs> Which was all I was bizarre. I was gonna follow up on that. Like is the has are we starting to see a little bit more I, I don't know about equal representation, but better representation in a lot more writers' rooms that you're a part of as you've continued to grow in the industry is that something that um you felt like is being taken into consideration yeah i don't i'm, I'm not on the only woman in the in the room anymore um and i think you know as i'm also there's more female comics but we're always going to be a little outnumbered because you know women in comedy like there's just 10 percent of us do stand up or 10% of us like comedy, you know? And I'm only in comedy rooms, like it could be different in rooms, it could be different sitcoms. It, yeah, like there's definitely a lot of, um, I would say diversity, but like when people get mad at the comedy store, they're like, you don't put up any women. And it's like, well, I mean, only 10% of us are doing stand up anyway. So only 10% of the lineup is theoretically going to be women. But also when you're 
a woman and good at comedy, you're busy. Like I can't be there every night because I'm not available right. every night. And um, I can only put you up if you're in town and available. <laughs> so that's that's kind of half the battle. But yes, um, I do see more and more women in comedy rooms uh, much more than, than when I started. I remember, I don't know if you had a chance to watch um, Letterman's Netflix series. Um, my, my next guest needs no introduction, but I remember a scene in which he's talking to Tina Fey and mm -hmm. he kind of had this line. I was like, I, I didn't know that, you know, more women were interested in like being a part of the writer's room. And Tina's like, yeah, we were. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to be able to, to put that into sort of the, the worldview of, of somebody who might've been a little bit isolated in that sense. So I'm, listen, I, I'm, I'm of the, I'm, I'm an advocate of, of trying to create environments that are going to have the most perspective because it's going to relate to the most amount of people. So progress is progress, but I mean, that's, that's remarkable to me that it's really only an industry, even right now where it's, it's 10% that I'm, I'm stunned by that number. You know, I, I, like I said, I don't know what it's like in drama rooms. I know, you know, when it comes to stand up, you know, more and more women are doing it, but um, you still have to be really good at it. But I think, you know, just overall in society, a big issue with women and in, in comedy is that I think as a society, we're not taught to laugh at a woman. You're taught to respect women. You're taught to like, you know, be open and listen to them, you know, laughing at somebody, you know, we're, that's a, that's kind of a, a big crack to put into the wall, you know? And so when I would go on stage, I would, I would do a joke like every 20 to 30 seconds because I'm just trying to get you into a rhythm of laughter and not to stop thinking about it. Um, and I think now there's so many female comics and they have specials and like where everybody's, you know, all over the world and on tour. Now people are a little bit more invested and it's, it's become easier as a society with, with comedy special. Um, but yeah, I think it still takes some time. And, but also like uh, when these, with these writer's rooms, like you submit a packet, but then you, and they're, they're supposed to read those blind. There's no name attached. So then they just pick, you know, whoever's jokes they like the most and then they interview you and then it becomes just a vibe. Like you're really just interviewing. They're making sure that you're not an asshole and that you're gonna be nice in the room and like everyone's gonna get along. So yeah. sometimes it's not even about male, female, black, white, whatever. It's just about, is this, is this a, a fair representation of the world and can we all get along? <laughs> in a way that is, you know, giving. Because you can't be attached to material in a comedy room. That's a really good point, because if somebody has a concept or an idea or a joke that's going to make the entire um, room better, like, you just have to be able to accept it and and, and move on and, and be able to maybe perhaps turn it into something else. Um, was there... Was there somebody in the early stages of comedy for you that you leaned on? 
was able to, uh, I, I know you mentioned Jeff and, and then kind of on, on the other side, has there been somebody that's newer into the comedy scene that's continued to grow that connected with you that saw you as an influence and you've been able to help them along the way? Gosh, I don't know about that. Um, and I don't know who, you know, you just, when people ask you for advice, you give advice when you can. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, Bobby Lee helped me a lot when I first started. He kind of, he would take me around to different rooms and make them put me up. I just kind of like give advice when people ask for it. I, I'm not seeking people out to give them advice. Yeah. That makes sense, especially mm -hmm. given that it's such a different road for everybody too, that, you yeah. know, one person's advice may not necessarily feel like it's it's represent it's representative of of where they want to go and, and how they want to get there. Um I I, I do want to bring back something that you mentioned about writing for Peyton at one of the roasts. Um mm -hmm. he's he's a naturally funny guy, but mm -hmm. did you still have to kind of work with him and coach him on the timing of your material or did he kind of pick that up right away? Uh, no, he was very good at all of the timing and he, um, you know, he had his script in his, in his trailer and he, you know, was like practicing the cadence and, you know, he, he's studying the book. He's, he's very good at that. And, and I'm not right. His whole script, he, he brought in a lot of stuff. I think, you know, he had other people or, or Cooper was also helping, um, so he had a lot of a lot of other things, and then I was just kind of adding stuff in uh, that I wrote or from the bank because when you write on a roast, you kind of put all these jokes into a bank, and then when you start writing scripts for people, you draw jokes from the bank that make the most sense for them. I do want to ask yeah. you a little bit of uh, baseball-related stuff, just because I know you're a huge Braves fan. Saw your tweet about uh, Jacob Degrom going down, and, and I was in agreement with you. Like, it just sucks for baseball that even though somebody who is that talented and say new contract, like it's baseball is better when the best players are playing consistently. Um, and Texas is off to an awesome start this year. They're they're forty yeah. and twenty. Um, what have you made of of a lot of the different changes that we've seen so far this year? Are you are you happy with the pitch clock? Do you like the fact that that the game is trying to become a little bit more contact oriented again? It's not as much home run and strikeout. Like when when you're sort of watching and, and being an advocate for baseball now, do you feel like from the top down it's starting to continue to head in the right direction? Absolutely, I, I love all of the changes all of them. I mean, it's a little bit harder to keep score at a game because it's it go, it's all going so quick and you can't really just like get up and go get a beer and come back and you've only missed a few batters. Like now you're like, it's been an inning and a half. <laughs> so it's a little bit uh, harder in that perspective. But um, no, I love the bigger bases. I love that there's so much base stealing. There's just more going on. There's more happening. Uh, there's more action. And so I think that's always good for baseball. You know, um, the only thing I, I feel like we're really missing in baseball, more villains. We really need more villains. There's no way to make people look like heroes unless you have villains. So I kind of miss the A-Rods. I kind of miss Trevor Bauer in that respect, you know, like just in, just in that respect. But yes. I, you know, like, <laughs> You know, I we really need these guys that everyone kind of hates 
because it makes it like, or like the the Astros scandal for me that was like oh this is so good for baseball because collectively everybody was you know so mad or hated all these this whole team and um that was really to me that was really good for baseball do you have a few minutes left? We have to take one more break, but then I, I want to get your thoughts on uh, who might be taking it all this year and, and whether or not maybe you and I can, can figure out who that true villain is uh, in mm -hmm. baseball. I, I think it could be a, a good little exercise to go through. Sarah Tiana is here. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Betty and the Bet. Stay with us. Thanks for listening to KC Sports Network. Make sure you download our new app. Find it on the App Store or Google Play. Just search KC Sports Network. Entertain. Educate, inform, KC Sports Network. All right, so Sarah Tiana's back with us. Uh, one of the great comedians, amazing sports fan, was just in town for Big Slick uh, over the weekend. Uh, now her, I believe, her fourth time uh, coming into Kansas City for it. So I, going back to the conversation about finding a villain in baseball, I, I think what was good about the examples that you provided with um, with the Astros in particular, is that it allowed it to feel like a national villain. The problem, though, is that baseball is so localized, and I think most teams almost embrace that. That, like, you're you're a huge Atlanta Braves fan. Like, do you look at somebody like, um, like, did you look at David Wright for a long time with the Mets as a villain? Did you look? Do you look at like Bryce Harper now with Philadelphia as like that local division villain, or did it just feel like no, this is just like a dude playing on the other team? No, no, no. I mean, I, I don't look at baseball that way. I mean, I watch a lot of games. I watch, I love the MLB mix on DirecTV where you can watch eight at once. Um, I think Tommy Pham was a great villain for a little bit when he got into a fight with Jack Peterson, yeah. and, you know? Oh yeah. Like, and Mike Trout's the commissioner. I'm like, this is the kind of story that we need. Um, I think the Mets as a team are kind of a villain because they're, they represent wealth and prosperity and then you have a team like the orioles or the pirates that are on fire this year and you're like this is so good for baseball like having these young kids coming up even the diamondbacks like diamondbacks are a great team this year and they're super young and it, it's just really fun to to see um new people coming into the game and 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 new athletes and and personality come through i think the biggest issue with baseball is that we don't know what a lot of guys sound like and and also some of the biggest stars in baseball don't speak english so it's it's kind of hard to translate the game uh to you know an american audience if, if we don't all speak the same language so they're just kind of going by bat flips and celebrations and you know it's like you know ronald acuna jr is my favorite baseball player am i going to ever have a conversation with him probably not <laughs> i would love to I, mean, I don't think you want to talk to me but but i i love you know him hot dogging and around bases and doing bat flips i think all of that is really fun it's really fun. i agree yeah i i think that's what you're starting to also see as part of a lot of these changes is like the embracing of a little bit more showmanship in the game and less mm -hmm. about sort of following like these antiquated unwritten yeah. rules the idea of like chucking a ball 98 miles an hour at a guy because he pimped a home run that he hit off of you before. Mm -hmm. Like it's you're like Marcus Stroman, I think just texted out something that he did a little shimmy after he struck out Juan Soto. Um, and he tweeted after he's like, Juan Soto is one of the greatest hitters in the game. He's going to be a hall of famer. 
he's going to get a home run off of me probably at some point. I'll tip my cap to him, but I'm just having fun. I think as long as that's still recognized, like every other sport embraces it. Baseball for such a long time has done the opposite. So if we can finally get to that point with another generation of fans starting to come in, I, I think that's going to be a key difference for the growth of the game as well, especially, especially with younger generations. And, and I'll leave it on this too, Sarah. I, I think another way for growth within baseball, and I'm not just saying this because this is a betting show, but it is a part of its growth, right? Like being able yeah. to have the break in between the action. If you want to bet on whether or not this guy at the plate at this point is going to get a hit or not, um, or whether or not he's going to strike out, or if you want to do something pregame or future bets, like it makes the game more interesting. It brings another sense yeah. of community into it. Like, have you have you embraced uh, the sort of the the betting aspect of baseball from from fan to uh, a baseball better as well? No, I mean I just play fantasy baseball. For me, that like keeps me um, apprised of different guys' stats and like helps me get to know different players on different teams, so that you're not just watching your team all the time. And now. Uh, you know, now we play every team in the league in both leagues this year was the first year that we started that. So I'll get to see the Braves play the Rangers and I'll get to see the, you know, the, the Braves play the Mariners, you know, like, so it just really helps that you're, you're facing all these different teams in, in both leagues and you get, I, I feel like that helps grow the game. I, I, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think betting is awesome. I, I just am not that good at betting. I'm more of a slot machine, maybe, um, and I don't bet on my own teams. That's always been a rule of mine. Um, I don't ever want to be invested in their loss, so I'm not going to bet, like, oh, either way, I win. It's like, right. no, no, no. Will you, will you oh, avoid Braves on your fantasy team as well? No, I have a lot of Braves players on my fantasy team because they are the best people. <laughs> if they weren't good, I wouldn't have them, but they're all very good. Yeah, that's true. Like you could always be like, a, you could be like a White Sox fan this year and uh, just be like, nope, full on, full on avoidance, full fade um, the rest yeah. of the way. Or I guess suppose a Kansas City Royals fan. Um, but oh, I think Granky is still, in a, it's like one of these like legendary pitchers, you know, like, Talk about a guy that like can kind of be a villain. I mean, he you know takes kids balls that want him to honor them and throws them off. <laughs> I mean, like he's just all about drink. He loves cats and he loves telling. He likes telling people what strike he's a pitch he's about to throw just to see if they can hit it. Like I fucking love that. I love yeah. that. That's that's an incredible confidence as an athlete that I will never understand. Yeah. That would that 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 would be the dream. Like, tell somebody I'm gonna be able to get this directly past you, or I'm gonna go dunk over you, and they just look mm -hmm. at me and be like, "No, no, you're not. Yeah. That's that's not happening anytime soon." Uh, Sarah, I appreciate your time. It was so good to catch up with you. You can follow her on Twitter at Sarah Tiana. You can also visit SarahTiana.com. Uh, there's information on upcoming shows, her special 44. You can also find on there as well. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm such a fan of your work for for such a long time, and uh, it's been great talking to you. Uh, hopefully, we'll get a chance to uh, to meet in person next time you're in for Big Slick, and uh, wishing yeah. you all the success in the world. Thank you. Nice to meet you, Benny. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to KC Sports Network. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to hit that follow button and leave us a review if you like what you heard.
You can find all six of our channels covering the Chiefs, Royals, Sporting KC, and the KC Current, plus KU, K-State, or Mizzou by searching KCSN wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube. Entertain. Educate. Inform. KC Sports Network.